And we are recording. Hello, listeners, wherever you are, and welcome to Fix This Flick, a podcast where a couple of pretentious craft beer drinking millennials deconstruct <laughs> your favorite films and tell you how we'd make them better. I'm your host, Ali, and with me for this episode, I actually have two guest hosts, Dan. Hello who returns after our brutal dismantling, and dare I say triumphant fixing of Casablanca in the last episode? Glad to be back, etc. What pretentious craft beer are you drinking tonight, Dan? <laughs> I am drinking Toronto's finest, Steam Whistle. Ah, yes, yes, a great beer. From the great Toronto Roundhouse, the old Toronto Railway Station. Sounds like it's worth every cent of the $15 per beer that it probably was. It is pretentious and beautiful. And joining Dan and I is a very special guest, a man who bravely trekked here through sleet, snow, and zombie moose all the way from the icy distant northern reaches of Ontario to make his long-delayed and for me much-anticipated first appearance on the podcast, Connor. I'm glad to be here. I'm a longtime fan, but all that sleet and snow kept me away <laughs> for so long. Also, a little bit of a pandemic in there. But other than that, I've loved the show. I'm ready to go. All right. I'm excited. What is your craft beer of choice tonight, Connor? Oh, I'm drinking Hoptical Illusions. <laughs> You're actually going to go with that one? <laughs> $13 now at your local Flying Monkeys establishment. Okay. But actually, I'm drinking Carling Ice. <laughs> and Prestige. Kind of like Tradition. I asked Dan last time, I'm curious to know what you would say you look for in a movie. Just generally speaking. I really like Dan's answer. I want to be lost in the movie. As soon as you start thinking about the actual production of the movie and you start th thinking about all the things about the movie, it takes you out of it. And you stop watching it and you start thinking about it. I don't want to do that. I just want to be involved in it. I don't want to think about it till it's done. And then it hits me like a wave. Like what an experience that was. It's good to feel like you're in the story and just going through whatever the characters are going through. Yeah, whether it's one hour, half an hour, four hours of Das Boot, <laughs> I want it to pass by like in a blink of an eye, like a dream, a fleeting dream that i <laughs> glad to be part of. Just a few hours where you can escape your own life and just imagine you're someone else just for this one time. Okay, let's skip the psychoanalysis. <laughs> okay. And um, for for this episode, Dan, you'll be pleased to know that the movie we'll be attempting to fix will be another World War II era black and white romance. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Kidding. Yeah? Uh, this episode, we'll be fixing indie horror film Midsommar. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, I to do it. I don't mind you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Danny. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. 
Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skull! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. What do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate, I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. Midsummer is a horror-ish movie <laughs> that could have easily been less than an hour long. But through the director's ingeniously creative utilization of a series of endless and repetitive dinner scenes and shroom trips, somehow drags on for almost two and a half hours. <laughs> the movie focuses on a group of American college dudes who are invited by a Swedish friend returning to his hometown to attend an ancient midsummer festival that happens once every 90 years. Accompanying the group is Danny, played by Florence Pugh. Pugh. <laughs> Did we figure out? Is it Pugh? It's Pugh. It's Pugh, yeah. Florence Pugh. A depressed girlfriend of one of the college dudes, Christian, who probably shouldn't have come with them because her entire family just horrifically died in a murder-suicide. I can't believe I said that with a straight face. The festival is celebrated by a cult of people who act really creepy, almost right from the start, but somehow don't freak out the main characters. And when even weirder shit starts happening, and some of the characters start disappearing without any explanation, they of course insist on sticking around for the somehow even weirder shit in the finale. Ultimately, Midsommar delves into trauma, grief, the dark side of nature and humanity, and yet doesn't satisfy in its exploration of any of those things. <laughs> 2019's Midsommar was director Ari Aster's much-awaited follow-up to the previous year's low-key indie horror hit, Hereditary. Hereditary was universally acclaimed by critics, who hailed Aster as a talent to watch, and while Midsommar left critics feeling more mixed, it is beloved by horror purists and mainstream audiences, even coming in third in Thrillist.com's ranking of the best horror movies of 2019, just ahead of Us, another movie that's been reviewed on this podcast, if I'm not mistaken. That is indeed correct. Us, and I guess the year just 2019 was really overrated for horror movies, but I do think Us was actually even worse than Midsommar, if I'm being honest. At least Midsommar explored some interesting ideas. Connor, as the podcast's newest guest host, you had the honors of selecting the movie we'd be fixing this episode. Knowing how lukewarm I am on horror movies in general, you of course chose one of the longest and most mind-numbingly dull horror movies that I've seen in a very long time. Care to give us an insight on why you pick the Midsommar? Well, thank you for the ringing endorsement. <laughs> I pick Midsommar mostly because I do love horror. There's a, It's a love-hate. Most horror movies are awful. Midsommar, I saw in theaters. I gotta say, it's a better movie to see in theaters just visually, but it's still definitely got its flaws. And when I saw it, it was rated, I think it's a 7.1. 
Yeah, IMDb. that sounds right. Yeah. I thought that's pretty high for a horror movie. Most of them are like ones I thought were good, like The Strangers or something like that. It's like a six. And I'm like, really? That's harsh. But it's just, I think it's just the genre. I think like, you're right. Not all horror movies can be a Shawshank Redemption type story. <laughs> of all the movies to mention. Okay. <laughs> not to say that's a horror. <laughs> so, In some ways. long story short, Midsommar, I just picked because I thought it's fairly rated high for a horror movie. It's pretty recent, a little bit more recent than Casablanca, and not quite the horror movie that Casablanca was. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so for this episode, we'll discuss what worked for us about Midsommar, things we'd improve, and then we'll pass our final judgment on whether the movie's fixable, fine as it is, or damaged beyond repair. And before we get underway, we should, of course, mention spoilers from here on out. So the movie begins with our main character, Danny. She's frantically Facebook messaging, emailing her sister, who has sent her a distressing message, a cry for help, which you're led to believe isn't exactly the first time she's done it, but this time seems more serious. She's, I think in the message she says goodbye, so Danny's freaking out. She's trying to call her. She's trying to call her parents. They're not picking up. So then she reaches out to the other main character of the story, Christian, her boyfriend, and you can tell right from his tone at the start, he's a little dismissive of her. Like, this isn't the first time this has happened. Oh, no, not again kind of attitude. He literally sighs in the phone. If you have subtitles on, it's just sigh. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <sighs> <laughs> he's being supportive, but he's also kind of like pushing her off. You can hear his friends in the background. They're saying like, come on, like you need to lose this chick. She's overbearing. Long story short, the phone call ends. Her sister actually ends up Killing herself and her whole family. So Danny's just obviously grief-stricken, traumatized by what just happened. And I guess that her boyfriend can't break, who'd been debating breaking up with her before then, just obviously can't do that at that point. So I think the movie just jumps to a couple months later and they're still together. And it's clear to say that both of them are unsatisfied in this relationship, right? Now he's like, he has to be there for her. And now more than ever, he's that emotional crutch for her and there's this trip yes. that he kept secret from her that him and his friends are going to go on mm -hmm. to sweden so one of the one of them is swedish and there's this big festival that they do every midsummer christian the boyfriend and another person they're both anthropology phd students or something like that and they josh josh yeah so there's josh and he wants to study the midsummer festival for his thesis their swedish friend invites them and so they kind of go as half of a vacation and half just to check this out for this guy josh's thesis and they have the other friend mark he's kind of the comic relief he's joking oh the the milkmaids in sweden like oh i can't wait to get laid with the swedish yeah he's babies. like a stereotypical college dude yeah so they decide the best course of action from there on he invites her so far in the movie, I'm actually really enjoying it. It's pacing itself pretty well. You can see the relationship between Christian and his friends and Christian and Danny being a little rocky. And you can see what's holding it together and where it's flimsy. They then land in Sweden. From then on the movie, you're kind of just on the, on the journey of experiencing this village they're going to. As an outsider like it, them. So they go 
They're offered some shrooms. First thing you do when you're in a foreign unknown place, you take shrooms. <laughs> of course. With a bunch of people you don't know. And then Danny starts to have a moment where the grief's coming back again. And she, she's tripping a bit. She sees grass in her hand. She has to, she has to leave. There's a crowd of the Swedish people and they're all frolicking in the grass laughing. And she thinks they're laughing at her. And she runs into the woods. And then I kind of blank. What happens next? And then, and then she just kind of wakes up a few hours later. She wakes on the ground. up in the gr- on the ground, and they find her. Pretty much. And then they proceed to the village as normal. Yeah. And then the movie just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And lots of weird shit starts pretty quickly after that, right? So they get to the village, and right away you're greeted with these incredible structures they've built. You can yeah, tell it's her just a beautiful place. Tradition. Yeah. It's in this beautiful meadow in the middle of summer. What could possibly go wrong here? You're met by some overly friendly, maybe off-putting people right away. But it just seems customary to this particular village. And I think right away they're kind of just grabbed along and brought into the festivities. Oh, let's go frolic in the field and dance and I'll show you this building and then we'll show you that building. And we'll show you this bear in the cage and we'll show you these creepy drawings that depict basically everything that happens in the movie after Later that. on, yeah. I was on board for this movie by then. I think the turning point really starts when they have that first dinner, first of many dinner table scenes. And there's this old couple and they're going to do this some sort of ceremony. In that ceremony, that's when everything changes. We find out that at the age of 72, apparently the people in this group, this religion or cult, whatever you want to call it, ritualistically commit suicide by jumping off the top of a cliff. And nobody warned the outsiders, this this group of friends, that this was going to happen. They just do it, and it's very brutal. The movie really, for just shock value, just shows their, their heads being crushed. One of them doesn't die right away. A couple of the other cult members approach ceremonial the, mallet <laughs> with a ceremonial mallet and then they take turns crushing the skull into like just grinding it into a pulp Beating basically the ever-loving fuck out of that skull yeah and we get to see it all and it's beautiful yeah and that's when the movie started to lose me because talk about just being immersed it didn't make any sense that they would bring in these outsiders and didn't warn them that this was about to happen so of course they're shocked traumatized and all that and not to go to all the way to the end but i think this just sets the pattern for this movie that kind of became quickly tedious for me where outsiders are in this cult something really weird and fucked up happens that they didn't know was about to happen and it's weird and fucked up rinse and repeat and it got really old really really fast and there's a common theme perhaps in it all is that they're actually not really reacting to what's shocking the jumping off the cliff smashing skull thing they react a bit to and especially danny because of her grief like that's kind of like she sees her parents PTSD and the old man and old woman who just died yeah yes but the other outsiders are kind of especially the anthropology students are kind of trying to well we're the outsiders we don't understand they're trying to like connect with it they're trying to recognize as a different culture they're told that like everyone accepts that they're proud to jump off the cliff and be brutally murdered by the mallet well there were those two there was this other couple that really freaked out and wanted to leave almost immediately and called them fucked up connie and simon right during the uh the suicide ceremony they were probably reacting the most realistically yes they reacted i think the way i would react if i was there they were horrified and like leaving they were leaving right there to elise point you wouldn't think to explain this first (laughs) i know yeah yeah exactly well 
see, this is the thing that bugs me with a lot of horror movies, and one of the reasons why I'm not the biggest fan of them is that that thing was not done because it was organic to the plot or true to the characters in a way that would be realistic or immersive. It's done so we can just have that moment of being shocked when like uh, they were shocked. Connor's point about what you know what brings him into a movie, what he likes about movies. That is the example of a moment where I went, oh, the movie's doing this for yes. a reason, and it's taking me out of it because it's doing it so obviously for mm -hmm. that shock value. It makes me start thinking about the movie and the choices of the movie making, and it's just, oh, not in the movie anymore. I'm not in the. I'm yeah. not immersed in this moment. It makes you start thinking about what's gonna happen next, and is it gonna be like this again? By the way. Well? I like gore and stuff, so I didn't mind. I, I like kind of liked it I, in a weird way, but it didn't make sense. I think yeah. in hindsight, it's first stage or the first step of showing the contrast in their culture versus the the Western culture. No where kidding. The, the students are coming. From. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they're like, they can't believe it, but to these people, it's so normal. It's part of their life. They don't even think of mentioning it to the outsiders. Well, they've been and doing this festival every year, so I feel like this issue has come up before, but whatever. Yes. Yeah, I see what you mean. Once that, that ritualistic suicide happens, Christian suddenly becomes very interested in doing the same exact thesis as Josh is, and Josh is not happy about that, and that becomes an issue between the two of them. Christian offers, oh, let's just work on it together, and Josh just accuses him basically of stealing his idea. So that's going on, and... There's just this ten tension or distance between Danny and Christian. And oh. yeah, so nobody cares about each other. Nobody really is paying attention wanted, to each other. I wanted to bring up a piece of that tension re directly relating to the suicide off the cliff scene. After that scene, I can't remember if it's the next day, maybe. Danny and Christian are talking and she's going like, this is crazy. Like the committing suicide off a cliff this is we have to get out of here and he's going it's their culture like we like like it's their culture is different than ours like our culture you know we put people in nursing homes maybe that's crazy to them their culture they do this let's just try and get used to it let's just try and accept them in the one moment he actually acts like an anthropologist he like immediately ignores her and just starts asking one of the other like so is there incest in this cult here uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it shows his dismissiveness of her. And we forgot Mark peed on the ancestral tr tree. <laughs> yes. He peed on the ancestral tree and they really didn't like that. One guy in particular yeah, really, one guy wanted really to didn't like, like kill that. him then and there. And while they're having their lunch, he's death staring Mark. And Mark even says, I think this guy wants to kill me. <laughs> and they're too busy squabbling to even pay attention to him. Once again, showing their friend group is yeah. it's already fractured. Or as always has been fractured. This is just exposing it. And Mark being the horny one that mentioned the milkmaids and all that. Some young Swedish girl comes up and invites him to go somewhere without even really asking where. She just says, well, come with me and find out or something like that. And he does. <laughs> they don't even pay any mind. I don't think they even noticed him leave the table. No. <laughs> and that's also the first time you notice that Christian's drinking a different drink than the others. And he has a nice ginger pube in his drink <laughs> was it his drink or is it in his pie oh the, sorry the ginger pube was in the pie <laughs> yeah. the period blood was in the drink <laughs> yeah yeah which will all make sense very soon yes yeah yes <laughs> it was clear that the movie was just going to be following this pattern of characters disappearing and dying off mm -hmm. one by one so 
So Connie and her boyfriend, they disappear as well, and we don't see them again. And then Mark. Later on, Josh. Soon after Josh. Josh, he sneaks into their holy temple or something, and, he, and he's trying to read one of their holy books, which he wasn't allowed to do. He had previously spoken with one of the elders and that's when he found out that the book was written by some incestuous offspring that had an unclouded mind yeah they specifically do inbreeding mm -hmm. to have these people who can then write their holy scripture clairvoyant deformed people can i just say that you guys are reminding me of my biggest problem with this movie is that you guys are bringing up all the interesting tidbits but the amount of space in between <laughs> any of these things is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous, yeah. This movie, I like that this this culture, this town, this cult is quirky and weird. And the pube in the pie is a little hidden message on purpose. And that's strange. And I like that. But holy, the time in between these happenings drags. They have these shots of the different structures on the property or whatever, which aren't particularly interesting to show more than once or twice like they're just wooden barns or whatever they'll have still shots of them for like three or four seconds as they pan through the field there's just a lot of stale moments where the momentum really crashes and then there's that dream sequence with danny where i guess this kind of foreshadows a little bit her disconnection with the other characters of them leaving in the car which i thought okay that part of the dream's fine i can't remember what else happens in that dream but neither, oh that yeah. the head gets smashed again oh, it's yeah. just the shock factor of everything compounding i guess but it's like the, i don't think that dream really served too much purpose to the movie as far as far as i can tell no purpose because she's already distraught with it like that's known like we got the gist of that yeah we, we got know. the gist of we the know. dream sequence yeah. didn't add any horror other than the shock factor of the head smashing again, it was just a needless five minutes. And I think this movie did that, obviously not another dream sequence, but it did that many times. Where it just had these needless little five minute moments, or all this filler of them just... And I guess they're trying to like fill the world. Like when they're in line getting their drinks, and they show them all getting a scoop of the drink from the happy lady. But it's like, okay, you can show like one or two people. You don't have to show like all 30 <laughs> people get their drink. I think the movie was trying to create this feeling of unease and anxiety the whole time. But I think it failed to do that because it just became tedious mm -hmm. and boring. So... There were times where I just wasn't, I, I wasn't even feeling immersed or anxious like I was supposed to. I was just, okay, can we get get this mm -hmm. going now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it's just it falls somewhere in between being a traditional horror of, like you said, characters going missing, the mystery of that. But it wasn't about the characters dying in horrific ways. It didn't show it. So it wasn't really about the horror. And if it was about the unease of people going missing, that wasn't felt either because it was more about their broken relationship and how they weren't even noticing people going missing so it takes away all tension there's nothing at stake because they don't care about each other exactly this movie doesn't yeah. feel like a traditional horror no it doesn't i in fact when we were watching it, i said it lots of times this isn't a horror so what people go missing it doesn't it's not horrific no there's a couple of shock value scenes and maybe the dream sequence is a bit shocking it's like a, it's more like a mystery weirdly movie an ongoing disappearance mystery movie it doesn't feel horrific at all it was more based on the broken family structure of the danny character and all the relationships she had surrounded herself with versus the crazy murderous cult 
and how close-knit and loving they all are. Well, I, I think the thing that was one of the most interesting aspects of the movie was how through this cult it was exploring this idea of living life in a way in which we didn't view death and suffering as bad things, but just as necessary parts of life. And that's really how the cult lived their lives and how they were really different from the main characters, the outsiders. And I think that's a pretty interesting idea to explore. And as you kind of go along, you realize there are glimpses of that because they, whenever there's pain, the whole village seems to express it together. Whenever there's happiness they all seem to express it together we learn that they end up being cannibalistic they've murdered connie and sammy and turned them into meat pies you realize the whole town like they're not just murderous cannibalistic hills have eyes people it's like some sort of expression of like their suffering through the people they killed it's like a certain cleansing the elders kill themselves at a certain point in their life so they don't have to live that slow painful agonizing death in a nursing home that's an interesting parallel with our society. And then there's the the people they don't see fitting in with their culture or something. They die too and they like express it through them. I don't really know because why bring all these people on just to kill them? It seems kind of pointless. Well, because this is trying to be still do that horror movie thing of having people just be murdered one by one until you end up with the main characters, which is a thing that happens in so many horror movies and maybe this part we could read into a bit more swedish friend maybe he selected a friend group that he thought would suit the roles needed to be filled in his village with just the right number of people with and just convince the right them to all go to yes, sweden well see if it takes a whole year and yeah it's a little far-fetched but that's part of the movie but he seems to have in mind because he's really pushing for danny to go which well actually that part doesn't really make sense either because how would he know She's going to go because Christian's the one that invites Yeah, she was her. a last minute yeah, addition. She was yeah. a last minute addition. I don't know how he could plan for her to win the May Queen thing, which I don't think we explain the May Queen yeah, thing. Yeah, what's the May Queen thing? The then? May Queen is there's a particular woman chosen who wins a certain event. They do a dance and they take a picture of her and they put her on this wall and she ends up winning it. She ends up being drugged. I guess everyone's drugged all the time. For the rest of the movie, they're supposed to be tripping. And you get little visual hints of the, fl know, the, flowers, the flowers growing pulsing, and yeah. pulsing. The leaves are growing. The trees are breathing. But that could have been an element where they got the, They made the movie much weirder. It's a great idea to add more drug-induced horror into the movie. Yeah. It's so scary to be out of control like that. Yeah. And I don't think they did that at all, really. No. They, they well, did it so slightly. So slightly, yeah. They, they tried to portray that. With And I guess we're getting to that part of the movie now where so Josh and Mark are gone. It's just Christian and Danny at this point. And Danny is off doing her May Queen stuff. And Christian is being drugged and seduced by the ginger who he learned whose pube was planted to is some sort of seduction Yeah, there was ritual. a woman who had her eye on him pretty yes. much the whole time. In fact, one of the elders even brings him in to a meeting to say that she has selected him as a mate. And he's, I think he's drugged at that point, and he's kind of like, what? <laughs> uh, and he doesn't know what to say. And he just leaves. And I think that's when he's wandering around. He sees Josh's foot growing out of the garden or buried in the garden. Which seemed weird. He sees, I think, <laughs> Simon hanging with his lungs exposed. That, and that, as he's discovering that horrific scene, some 
elder dude blows some drugs in his face, whatever, yeah. whatever it is. And that's when he... Um, no, that's after. No, he mates with the ginger first. Then when he's leaving, that's when he goes. Okay, and, yeah, 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 yeah. So after his meeting with the elder, the ginger girl wants to be his mate. He's kind of in a drug-induced state. He doesn't know what he's doing, really. They breathe some sort of like aphrodisiac on him. And it's like, this will help your vitality. And he, they lure him into this temple of naked women. And there lying is the, the ginger girl waiting. And she spreads her legs and welcomes him in. And he kind of just seems like he's blowing with the wind at this point. Like he has no inhibitions anymore. He's just can't control himself. Seems like he has no will of his own. He's just, he's just like, I'm just slave to whatever drug they've given him. So he has this sort of ritualistic mating sequence with the ginger to impregnate her. And so <laughs> after that ritual happens of the... the Quite striking ritual. Yeah, and that, that's probably one of the better scenes in the movie. What happens during the ritual, though? Who happens to see what's going oh, on? Oh, yes. Danny leaves her little she hears mate. the chanting yes she leaves her may queen ritual where they're planting grains and stuff in the earth for good fortune or good crop season or whatever for some reason yeah <laughs> yes yeah, some reason a, we don't know we're just kind of along like, for the this ride is, this is an example of whatever movie hurry up <laughs> and so then she peeks in the keyhole and sees him humping away. This is like the last straw for her. They seem to be in a rocky place for a while, but this is the last straw. And she feels sick to her stomach. She, She's horrified by this. She runs out, literally vomits. As a viewer, this feels like it makes no sense. She already knows that they're so distant. Why is she so distraught over this? It feels off. I think because it's just the last straw for her. It was like the only thing they had left was their faithfulness. I guess. And she's not thinking about, is he willingly doing this or whatever? Because she's probably already got it made up in her mind that he's an ass and that he would do this. She's just waiting for it to come to confirmation. It feels weird that she knows that they're constantly being fucking drugged. Well, she's drugged as she's, as yeah. she's going through this. So she might be being Overlooking overly... that he's yeah. basically being raped. Yeah. <laughs> That's when all the other make queen supporters are with her the other women expressing her grief and her sadness with her and so that's when christian after he he has that post nut clarity <laughs> he, he gets up and he's like what have i done this is so weird he starts running he runs he runs he gets the hell out of there and that's when they blow the drug the, the magic drug dust. dust the magic dust that paralyzes him and knocks him unconscious temporarily and when he wakes up he can't move he can't move and the movie at that point quickly kind of goes to the last segment. It finally does something quickly. Yeah, it finally transitions pretty quickly and abruptly. Is suddenly they're, they have the stage. It's this final event of they're selecting certain people to go into the special building yeah. they've set up. And they've already selected a few people that just happens to be the dead people they killed. And they have a few more volunteers. And Danny has the last choice. And she has to choose between Christian and some random village member you haven't even seen yet. They're an extra. <laughs> and she chooses to kill Christian. Yes. That's how little she thinks of him at this point. So they dress him up in a bear that they cut open the bear, put him in. But you don't really feel helpless with him 
That's the one thing too. It's like when the characters are so unlikable yeah. on purpose, you don't really experience this with them because you don't care. I never cared about anyone in the movie. Very slightly about Danny. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of horror movies you watch, whether it's like Scream or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or whatever, no matter how bad they are, you're still like rooting for the people to get away, to to run. To, what are you doing? Don't turn back. Mm-hmm. Run. <laughs> you get mad. These people, you're like, whatever. <laughs> Drug them, burn them, do whatever you're going to do. Stick them in a stew. Yeah, stick them in a stew. <laughs> I think the problem with some horror movies is that I don't see the stakes because it seems like the villains or whoever they happen to be just happen to control everything. And so you're just seeing characters just succumb to the evil or whatever. Bad things just randomly seem to happen and then things just get worse and worse. This movie had that and it also had the unlikable characters. So you, it was you don't feel boring connected. in both ways. You feel so disconnected. You're just along for a ride that takes too long and doesn't go anywhere and then people die and you don't care about them. You don't care about them so much that this murderous cult actually seems likable in comparison. Almost. Well, it does. It doesn't really ever make them seem menacing, really. It, they're just going about their rituals. And that you don't see the murders and if they're horrific or not, or if they're done with love. I love England. Like, because even at the ending, because we're getting there, Christian's stuffed in the bear. He's brought into the temple. The people that have willingly sacrificed themselves are in the temple. The people that have already died are in the temple. And they burn it. They burn it down. It's almost like a washing away with the old and all their sins and all their grief and all the wickedness and all the sadness dies with them. And the whole village is screaming and crying and writhing in pain, rolling on the ground. It's like they're reborn from the ashes. It's just the other people's ashes. (laughs) But with them, Danny is reborn because the movie ends with her putting on a smile. Like she's finally overcome her grief. Her grief. and what's She's in, found a new family, too. She's found a new family, one yeah. that actually seems to care about her. And even if they're a murderous cult, they... Until her turn to be bludgeoned <laughs> to death. Yes, or <laughs> jump from the cliff. But I think that's the whole thing that maybe this the director's getting at. They want you to juxtapose the shitty friend group, the horrible relationship with murderous, crazy cult, and you actually leaving the movie pick the cult side of who you'd favor or who you think is the one that is right for Danny. Is Danny maybe the villain of this movie? Because if you think about it, when, once she just becomes part of this cult, she is complicit in the deaths of all of these people who are basically innocent. They didn't deserve to die for whatever it is they did, not even Christian did. So she was willing to... Just to to the whole point of her being very codependent on Christian, she was so needy of having a family that she was willing to just allow all these people and and to actually choose for Christian to die so she could get this new family. And so she's part of this crazy murderous cult in the end. Was that intentional? Was that possibly something that they were going for? Or I think her being the only semi-likable character, you're like rooting for her no matter what she does. So it's hard to framer is the villain but that's i think that's part of it they're like manipulating you as a viewer into liking her and liking them in spite of all the horrible things they're doing like you said they're killing innocent people and if you don't like the characters christian josh mark what the hell did simon and connie do they just saw people jump from a cliff and tried to leave and they killed them too so that's i think that's the part where you're left wondering and not in a good way 
with the movie is what was the whole point of bringing the outsiders in just so they have people to kill excess bodies more meat pies i do wonder if they're looking for people that are easily assimilatable and they'll they will not kill those like maybe danny they found that they could assimilate her so she gets to live it's like a a statement on religion perhaps prey on the weak and the ones that are have nothing left and looking, emotionally vulnerable emotionally vulnerable looking for answers mm-hmm. looking for any sort of acceptance or love or a family that could very well be what they're going for in the story yeah everybody else who dies are people who do something to upset the traditions of the cult or disagree they disagree with the cult or violate some sort of rule or yeah they took a picture of sacred book peed on sacred tree <laughs> screamed and attempted to expose them by leaving simon and connie and then christian was just symbolizing the wickedness that danny needed to rid herself of he goes up in the flames and you're led to believe that she's like reborn she's gonna have to get a some sort of visa for sweden i guess how's that work <laughs> she's just gonna stay <laughs> so how do we fix this or is it fixable? One thing I would start with is just trim a lot of the repetitive, tedious, borderline pointless scenes in the middle. Just to get rid of that whole aspect of, oh, okay, now this person's gone and this weird thing happened. This person's gone, this weird thing happened. And just streamline it. Like you, We get the gist and you never want to be in the position of a viewer as a viewer of being ahead of the story where you're okay mm-hmm. we're gonna end up with just these two people at the end so let's let's get it over with and i think if it was just maybe even almost an hour shorter it could have still done what it did on top of that it may be fixable but i think it needs quite the overhaul you need to rewrite it in such a way that you actually care about people in this movie or else it's too hard to immerse you're along for this ride that you don't care about and takes too long is what it feels like I wouldn't even say you have to care about the people, but you you have to empathize with them at the very least. Well, where in in the sense I guess of that's what I meant. Well, you know what I mean. Like you can have Mark uh, be the unlikable. You know, he's just interested in having sex. But if we get to learn more aspects of him beyond that caricature, when he goes missing and when he dies, it actually impacts us because we see well he had these flawed aspects of him and he had these good aspects of him. Instead, he's a caricature, and Josh, the, the the thesis student, all we really know about him is he wanted to do this thesis. What else do we know about him? If we just added a little, a couple more facets to each of those people, we would have had stakes because we cared about them or empathized with them, and we would have understood them better as people. Rather than doing that, it could have just been Christi- Christian and Danny the whole time. You don't need the feud you, with the thesis, really. You don't really need that, but it, it kind of shows that Christian's a self-serving dick. So it's, You could have done that You could have done that in a relationship. That. Yes, yeah. you could have done that, and they already did do that. That's a great to, idea, actually. Just to, get rid of all those extra fucking people. This is what I was, my next point was going to be. A lot of horror movies, the problem they get into is there's this fine line between having too many characters that you're just slowly or quickly killing them off that you don't care. It's just like, who's next? Or you have too few characters where you know there's nothing at stake because they're not going to die. It's like if you have one character in a horror movie, you know they're going to live to the end. If you have two, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. If you have 10, you know eight of them are going to die. Every 15 minutes, one person's going to die. So this movie 
can't develop those characters. And it tries to. I think it does try to. But it's so surface level because if you're going to do that, it need to be like a whole season of a show. And Oh, God. If, <laughs> oh no, God. no. But they no. could have gotten into the more of the rituals and more of the immersion if it was just half hour episodes or something. It really could have just been like an hour long one Black Mirror episode. Yeah, it could have. Cut out the fluff characters that didn't really add anything. This would be a good Black Mirror episode. I, I like the idea of just trimming it down to the couple and just having it be that way because then you could lose a lot of stuff and just focus on what this movie is actually trying to be about, be, which is this core relationship. Be more about their toxic relationship, yeah. him manipulating her, gaslighting her, whatever, her Being fragility, yeah. her codependence. If you made The Shining and there's like 20 other characters that Jack Nicholson's chasing after, it wouldn't be as impactful. If he's just killing off people one by one, it just becomes a stupid slasher movie. You know how, like, in a lot of horror movies that are based in haunted houses, uh, the people who live in the haunted house just seem to not leave the haunted mm -hmm. house when they probably should, or many people would, but they give some bullshit reason why they're staying. Like, we have to, all our money's in this house, or something like yeah. that. This movie did the same thing, where the, the two characters, the couple, stayed until the very end, because the movie want like had to have them stay until the end, and it didn't make sense whether they were being intermittently drugged or not that, that they were just gonna stay here. I can see ruins the immersion. I can see it from maybe the Danny character's perspective, but everyone else, I don't understand why they'd stay. Josh and Christian, because they were so obsessed with doing their thesis, thinking about their career. But maybe. it's like, would you be willing to? basically see all these people go missing around you for your thesis for your thesis <laughs> freaking thesis i love how like this thesis thing is such a major talking point in this movie because <laughs> it isn't even that really important in the movie is it no and yet so much of the plot is dependent on this freaking thesis yep. any other fixes we talked a little bit about this beforehand connor but in terms of the ending they could have probably done a better job of organically tying the resolution of the issues between Danny and Christian with the culmination of this festival and the cult. Because it really felt like it was just arbitrarily forcing this whole scenario with her reacting so negatively to Christian's, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, cheating, cheating on her. And I feel like they could have done that in a way that more organically demonstrated the collapse of the relationship with the finale of, of the cult's practice, of this midsummer thing. I just can't think of how you would do it, but I feel like there would have been a better way to do it. Any suggestions? I guess in the director's mind or the writer's mind, they were thinking that him cheating was the last straw, but we're saying we didn't quite buy it. Like there needed to be something else after that. There needed to be some other some sort of betrayal moment some other betrayal what if it was just him realizing this is fucked up shit maybe he still does like maybe he's he just, he just gonna abandon her yeah he just runs away and abandons her and he they catch her and bring him back yeah you know catch the, him and bring the, him you back. know the dream scene where they're abandoning her mm -hmm. why couldn't that have been real i felt like that was actually gonna happen like it was foreshadowing that that was gonna happen it later should have that's a great that's betrayal. the ultimate betrayal he or they whoever's alive at that point tries to leave and then the cult people catch them or stop them or and whatever then she chooses to have him yeah. die that's like a huge it. fix i like it mm -hmm. and then you cut out some of the meaningless characters in the middle you cut out cut out any mention of a thesis maybe please cut, we could even <laughs> cut that out too because it could just be between christian, christian and, danny. and danny yeah i like that idea too you could 
with that, you add more to the movie of just exploring the creepy cult and the art and the things around it. You don't have to understand it. You just experience it through their trippy escapades. I think someone should have, of the main characters, should have tried to escape just to have some stakes as well. Yeah. Yeah, a suspenseful moment. There needed a chase to be through stakes. The, a chase through the I was woods. Surprised yeah. no one tried running away. A drug-induced chase through the woods Didn't at they, night would be very. Maybe creepy. there even were with the characters off screen that disappeared. Why yeah. couldn't we have seen it? Wasn't in the budget. <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect. They drag him back. He tried to escape. No words need to even be said. Her ultimate fear is abandonment. This seems like it's so organic, actually, yeah. now that I'm thinking about it. That's like yeah. a swing and a miss by them. This is the kind of movie where I look back and I think, were there a bunch of scenes that were deleted that were so key? They were like, <laughs> shit, we're already at two and a half hours, whatever it is. Like, it can't be a four-hour movie. Yeah, was, this, was there an editing fail? We'll cut out on? all these important scenes of people dying and being slaughtered and... When I was just Googling this movie earlier today, actually, I did notice that there's a director's cut. Oh, God. As well as this, the version I'm, we saw. So maybe. I'm curious to see it just to see if Fuck it. Fuck that. I'm never <laughs> watching this movie. This is your third time watching it. Dude, I am it? kind yes, of bitter that I had to watch it again for a second <laughs> Blame time. him. He's the one who picked it. <laughs> I thought it'd be a good movie to discuss. It well, is... yeah, we're, yeah, it, it definitely was a good good movie to just kind of pick apart because I never want to watch this movie again. <laughs> me neither. Me neither. Just which kind of I guess gives away our final judgments. <laughs> I would watch on. the director's cut like no. on YouTube, like the snippet scenes that okay. were added just to see. I would watch a cut of just the extra scenes to see if it adds anything. We, we should just go on to final judgment now. Dan, you kind of already my final, <laughs> answered. <laughs> my final judgment is that this movie is probably fixable. It takes a huge overhaul to do it. I don't really care if this movie gets fixed. <laughs> <laughs> just just burn it? Just burn it for all okay. I care. Although I like the setting and I like some of the cinematography and I like this weird quirky cult. So maybe I'd like to see this fixed version of this movie. Connor? I Fixable? fine as it is i think it is fixable it's not fine as it is (laughs) i think it's fixable i liked aspects of it i liked the realistic dialogue between the couple at the start that established their relationship pretty well i like the uniqueness of going to remote sweden and being introduced to this culture and then comparing it to the western culture and how you you almost look down on these shitty characters and you like the the cult what i don't like is everything we mentioned that we could just cut out a lot of this i think with a lot of horror movies you really don't really need to watch it a second time because it's spoiled all the jump scares all the things that transpire that are supposed to spook you or shock you are spoiled this movie doesn't even have that so nothing really shocks you the second or third time nothing there's nothing to take away from it doesn't do anything particularly well it doesn't do the gore aspect well other than a couple moments so it's not like a saw type movie it doesn't have the slasher chaser murderous type horror so is it like a psychological thriller it's not that either thrilling so going back to our intro where you wrote horror ish i don't even know if i'd go with that i don't even know what it is (laughs) it's like a weird family broken romance drama drama i don't know with comedic elements kind of until mark dies 
Wait, so is it fixable? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... <laughs> I agree with Dan, you kind of have to tear it from the ground up, but I like certain aspects of the foundation. Like, I would be interested to see what this director has in store in the future. Like, Hereditary, I thought it was unique. I thought it had a lot of problems, too, but it kind of engaged me. This movie was way different than that, but had similar kind of shock value moments so i'd be interested to see his next movie i'd hope it would have some of the the fixes i think it would be worth fixing and not just burning <laughs> i'm not i am not you, advocating just burning okay. you wouldn't burn it in a <laughs> yellow building <laughs> with a be. bear <laughs> <laughs> i i think it is fixable but yes it would take so much work that it's almost borderline not worth it just make another movie just let him make another movie hopefully it reigns in some of the aspects that we found to be pretty tedious in this one he clearly has some good ideas it would be nice to see them put together really well all right, time for recommendations before we sign off. We just wanted to share a few recommendations for things we've been watching lately. Connor, you can go first. Anything come to mind? This isn't something I've watched lately, but after talking about this, it was like an obvious choice because I think it absolves the sins of every horror movie, and that is The Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Because, I was about it too. because it has all the horror movie tropes that we just criticized for the past however long yet it legitimizes them because that movie without spoiling that movie too perfectly explains why it happens why those they exist why they exist it like pays homage to every horror movie that's existed makes fun of them it's satirical like i said it legitimizes them all <laughs> it's the perfect horror movie savior your recommendation dan well to go way off beat all right let's hear it <laughs> the ongoing star wars tv show the mandalorian after some in my opinion very unfixable disney produced star wars movies it's refreshing to see the star wars universe used in a much more enjoyable light it's nice to see the creatures and the environments and the machines and the animals and just the imagination of that world telling stories in it it's just nice it's not perfect, but it's usually pretty good. If you had to just describe the plot quickly, what is it? If you've ever seen Star Wars and you know who Boba Fett is, the Mandalorians are an ancient order of bounty hunters who live by a, a creed. And the creed allows these bounty hunters to be hired by just about anyone because they do the job, they get it done, no questions asked, they just get it done. And they do it well. And this takes place after the fall of the Empire, the original movies. So the universe is in a bit of disarray. The Republic is kind of coming back to power. They're starting to take hold. They're trying to stamp out the last bits of the Empire. But it's still a bit chaotic. And one of the nice things about the show, the Mandalorian does a bit of a Wild West in space kind of feel. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Firefly which, in my opinion, didn't do it well. I like Firefly, but I think the Wild West aspects of that show were kind of messy, and it didn't really fit. Forced a little bit? Forced. From what a, I remember. In an, in an otherwise enjoyable space show, the Wild Westiness felt way too Wild Westy. <laughs> like, literally, like, singing country songs and horses sometimes. <laughs> but 90% of the show is just on a ship in space. The Mandalorian does the Wild West much nicer. It does it through music, 
It does it through gunslinging, like quick draw fights sometimes, and just sort of salacious, seedy characters. And it's just nice to see stories told in the Star Wars universe without tarnishing the universe. So basically, you're Danny, and all of the Star Wars sequels are burning in that yellow building <laughs> along with Christian. <laughs> I'd like to think so. And the Mandalorian <laughs> is that beautiful cultish tribe <laughs> see it all fits it all, it, all, fits. it all connects okay i'm going way out of left field with my recommendation as well has nothing to do with horror or midsummer unless connor finds some way to make it work <laughs> i recommend this cartoon network animated series I, I think it's must be meant for adults it's called the venture brothers the best way to describe it is it's a parody of adventure shows that are, that are focused on like kids going on adventures. So it's about these two sons of a rich billionaire scientist and everything is subverted in it. I would almost compare Dan, you'd probably understand this comparison. If you understand how Mike Tyson mysteries, <laughs> parodies and subverts Scooby-Doo or just mystery shows. Yeah. Venture Brothers is the same thing with adventure shows. So the two sons are inept idiots. Their dad doesn't give a shit about them and sometimes forgets their names. And he constantly has to be rescued by his bodyguard. And the arch villains, the scientist doesn't even understand why. They hate him so much and we find out that they just... Because they're arch villains, they need to have a hero to just... So they just pick him. So there's a lot of humor that just pokes fun that stereotypes and tropes of those kinds of shows and i would highly recommend the show i i have a feeling both of you have never heard of it i've, I've heard of it i've seen it you've seen it okay well what do you think of it i haven't seen that much of it it's good in small doses i wouldn't recommend binge watching it but a little a little bit of now and then is pretty entertaining I know. It's, not, it's not it's old isn't it it's like from the early 2000s i think yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And that's our episode. Thank you so much for listening to Fix This Flick. I'm your host, as always, Ali. I'm Connor. I am Dan. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.